mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to take a little diversion from John and do a four-part series about Christmas. We are in that season. Uh, it looks like we're about 22 days away. And I want to do a four-part series. And the title of that, I don't title many of my sermons, but every year I do preach on the greatest gift ever given. The greatest gift ever given. The testimony of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the world wants us to get focused on self. The world wants us to get focused on getting, receiving. Many of us might have the gift of receiving. That is not a gift of the Spirit. We are supposed to be giving ourselves away. We are supposed to be focusing on the greatest gift ever given, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And everything about the gospel is about giving. In fact, in James chapter 1, just to set the stage here, we're told in 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now listen to me. Every good gift, right? Remember God declared after he created for six days, he declared that it was all good. And then sin enters the world. So we have a need for salvation or regeneration so that he can perfect those who, by their free will, choose to be with him for eternity, choose to listen to his voice. So that both of those are covered in that verse. Every good and every perfect. It started out, it is good. Then you have a free will choice whether you want to follow him or not. And Eve listened to the voice of the world, which is run by the Antichrist or Satan. And then when you choose his voice again, you choose that you want to be brought back into his house. He perfects you. That's the perfect gift, recreation. It's actually paralleled in the, in the, in the Old Testament by, by creation and then the flood and then recreation. It's the same thing that's happening in the spiritual realm to you and me right now. 
We were created and it was good, but now we're being recreated and we have a free will choice to choose the greatest gift ever given. The problem is people say, I choose, I choose, but then they never unwrap the package. They never unwrap the package. And in God, there is no shadow or turning. There's no shadow. There's no variation. Listen to me. There can't be a shadow because there's no greater light. And see, in order to have a shadow, you have to have a light above you. There's no shadow in God. No variation means no changing. He's not changing his mind. He wants us to hear and change our mind. Metanoia, to turn, to repent, to come back to listening to his voice instead of listening to the voice of the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. That's salvation. That's recreation. That's every good and perfect gift in a nutshell. And yet we come back to God and we go, no, talk to the hand, not to the face. Don't want to change my mind. Want to keep doing what I want to do. Don't want to open the gift. Put it on the shelf. Leave me alone. I'm busy with what I'm doing. My package is better. Listen, your package is not better. My package is not better. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And the power is included. The Spirit of God comes with it. We have to unwrap this gift. He's not going to change his mind. He's not changing his mind. Listen to me. It has to be his way. Salvation. Coming back to him. And choosing to hear his voice. And then asking for his power to obey. Lord, teach me to obey. You were faithful. Even to the point of death on a cross. regeneration again titus 3 5 and 6 not by works of righteousness which we have done nothing we've done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit he done it for us but we have to surrender to it unwrap the package and say here i am lord i surrender he'll do all the work for us so christmas is the testimony of Christ. It's about receiving this gift of life. Listen, all of all of your physical being right now from 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 birth to death is about receiving the gift of God that takes away your sin nature and gives you a new nature. Every bit of it. It's it's a most serious thing. There's not anything else that can be in your life today that is more serious than unwrapping the pack, package of life that God has given us. Unwrap this package and find out what this life is all about. Christmas is a testimony of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he was born for. That's what he was born for. Think about this for a minute. It's not God who's changing, but it's us who needs to change. But God did. What did he do? He came off the throne room in heaven. He unwrapped himself from the prerogative of his deity, and he wrapped himself in flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh. And he came down, and he began to speak. And everything that he was doing when he was speaking was unwrapping for us the kingdom of God. It was opening the kingdom of God to us with his very words when he spoke. And listen, it's not about presence. 
I know I'm from Kentucky. When I say presence, it sounds like presence, right? They both say the same thing. But it's about the presence of God coming down. It's about the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. His presence. And it's not about presence under a tree. It's about the light of the world that decorated that first tree. He hung on a tree for you and me. But think about this for a minute, because we, when, you wrap your, when, you, when you decorate your tree, think about this. Listen, that tree was a wooden cross. That tree represents death. The most cruel punishment that you could do and kill somebody with, the Romans have perfected it. But listen to this. In the Old Testament, wood represents flesh. And when it was made from wood, it was covered in silver or gold to be used in the temple, God's temple. And silver is redemption and gold is deity, that perfection we're talking about. So as Jesus hung on a wooden stick, it's representing the death of our flesh, that we are to die. He's dying for us. He led the way. He's teaching us how to be crucified. He's teaching us how to be dead in our flesh and alive to the Spirit, the recreation, the perfecting, the washing and the cleansing as we unwrap this package of life that's been given to us, new life, new creations. It's not the apostasy we've been living in. It's not the church we've been living in where you sing a bunch of songs and you let some smoke go up and things happen and you go, man, I feel really emotional about this. What did you learn about Jesus? What package did you unwrap? Are you using that gift for life today to go out and tell somebody else? Because the devil wants to keep us focusing on getting like get my message and get up and get out of here instead of being in the word, prayer, and fellowship and becoming a body of Christ that has the mind of Christ that came down to die so that others could come to life? That's the gospel. I'm sorry, I make no apology for it. I don't do it very well, but I know that the Holy Spirit can preach it to us. And then we have to choose as a free will agent Am I going to learn to do this? Am I going to surrender and allow you to do it through me, Lord? Or am I going to keep fighting? Keep fighting. No, Jesus decorated that first tree for you and me with his blood. That's why I like, I got a, this year I got a flock tree. I always put red on my tree to represent the blood of Christ. And we talk about it with our kids all the time the grandkids, while we're putting it up. But this year I even got a flock tree that's white with the red on it. Because see, that's what Christ gave to you and me, purity, white as snow. Come and reason with me. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. That's unwrapping the present. When we're reasoning with God, when we're receiving his counsel, we're listening to what he wants to say to us because he's already spoken. There's nothing more he can say. He hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. God Almighty hung on a cross for us. Gold covering that wooden stick of flesh and represented death. And he took that curse for us to set us free. And now we're supposed to be that light 
Now we're supposed to be that light to a dead and dying world. We're not supposed to hide it under the tree. We're supposed to put it on a hill where people will see that light. The reflection of Christ in us because we're dead with Him, crucified. Before we open our text uh, in Luke 1, one more, just a small I guess I'd call it an admonition, is that I don't lie to anybody about Santa Claus. Santa is not real. Santa is a lie. And you might say, oh, it's just a white lie. There is no such thing as a white lie. There's a white life if you believe in Christ, but there's no such thing as a white lie. Every lie is darkness. And what it teaches a kid is that it's okay to lie, and then it teaches them to think, wait a minute, what did my parents lie to me else about in life? They're saying that I should do this and this and thus. Did they lie to me because they lied to me about that Santa guy? Listen, we're, we're way too grown up to be still lying to children about Santa. And you can do what you want. You're grown. But when you lie to children, they grow up learning to lie. When you tell them the truth and train their heart, they grow up learning to tell the truth and they grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Dr. Luke tells us, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed." There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order and division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, 
How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and who was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have looked upon us with favor to take away our reproach among people. Thank you, Lord, that you sent a messenger. Thank you that you sent a forerunner. Thank you, Lord, that we are now that forerunner so others can come to Jesus. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Fill us to overflowing. Help us to glean from this text what you would say to the church as we unwrap the greatest gift ever given. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's look back. Um, Luke 1, of course, Dr. Luke has written this. In these days, uh, many doctors were slaves. And so Dr. Luke was set free, we believe, I believe, to travel with Paul. I think uh, it's about Acts 12, second missionary journey. We have what's called the we chapters where he begins to say, we sell past the mattress. We did this. And you can tell that he's now there. The rest of the, the rest of the book of Acts and this book are all compiled because he was a doctor. He does what we see in um, verse two, when he says, I witnesses, that's the word autopatea which is how you do an autopsy of a dead body. That's where we get the word autopsy. So what he does is he investigates, he learns, he has perfect knowledge. He's been right there with people that seen it all happen. And he's talked to him and he's interviewed them. Even Mary would still be alive to be talked to. And he's, he's put together an autopsy of the body of Christ and the things that happened and writes them down perfectly. And he sends this letter to uh, Theophilus which was probably uh, his, it's his most excellent. So he's some type of a, of a ruler, and it means lover of God or friend of God. But he probably sent that back to his master who let him go free to be with Paul after he come to the gospel. Why am I giving you that really quickly? Because I don't want to keep you here all day. So I'm giving you a few verses really fast, and then we're going to delve into some other things. But it's interesting that he says, so that you might know and understand this with certainty, with security, it means with safety, the things that were told you. Listen to me. He is trying to disciple his former master from a distance. You've heard the gospel. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about these things that happen. Let me send you a letter so that you can be instructed more certainly about these things and you can grow. Listen, there is never, ever in the Bible a thought that somebody would come to Jesus and not care about growing and going. There's never, ever a thought. 
The Bible is all about coming back into a house under, under God's authority and hearing his voice and becoming part of his house the same way they walked in fellowship in the garden. It's every bit about coming back into that and being perfected to learn to rule and reign with him for eternity. There's never a thought about just saying a prayer and then just going about your business. That's not any salvation at all. That's some type of culture entity that leaves you going straight to hell. And I can't be more emphatic about it, especially at this time when we're supposed to be unwrapping this gift. You're not saved by doing. You're saved by believing. But if you believe, then you die. You're dead to self. Listen, deny self, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus said to the boys. And they're like, oh, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Why? Because Christ unwrapped himself and wrapped himself in flesh so that we can become like him. So what do we have to do? We have to take off our flesh and wrap ourselves in Christ. We have to be wrapped up in Christ and become like him. He's, followed, he's given us the pattern. He became like us, cursed flesh that was dying so that we could become like him, wrapped in his nature, wrapped by his Holy Spirit. Never was there an understanding that we could actually just believe in Jesus and then go about our life and continue to just walk in darkness. Light gets rid of darkness. And if we are now the light of the world, as Jesus tells us we are, as he's spoken, unwrapped the truth of the kingdom, then as we walk into a room, it should turn on the light. It should make the cockroaches flee. That might resonate with some of you. It resonates with me. Been there and done that. Got a t-shirt. So he's writing this orderly account. It's an exact account, which is the word circumspectly. When he says this perfect, or for, it's from the word exact. It's the word that's used in, in, in Ephesians 5.15. See then that you walk circumspectly. It's exactly as you know how. It's when you figure out what light is on and what truth is, and then you say, wow, Lord, is that, I'm changing my mind to your opinion. Now I want to try to do that. And I, and, and I seem to be failing in the flesh, so let me put my flesh on the cross in the grave and ask you for the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. It has to be your free will choice to understand that it's the voice of God and not the voice of the world. The world is set there perfectly to challenge you and to test you and to try you to see if you want to listen to God's voice or the world's voice. And we know that the whole world is underneath the sway of the wicked one. So please, Wake from your sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. That's uh, Ephesians 5, 14 and 15. That you might know certainly, I haven't read it. I'm going to get back to you in a minute. Verse 4. 
that you might know for certain or of a certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Instructed is the word catechize in the Greek. It's where catechism comes from. You're being instructed, indoctrinated, taught in a way that you're supposed to live. You get it from this Bible. You do not get it from a man. You get it from this Bible. You do not get it from a man. You cannot get catechism from a man. Listen, you're instructed by the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. But do you know what you believe? Listen, that you might know of certainty. Do you know what you believe? And do you know what you don't believe? And can you share it with somebody? Oh, you don't have to know all 66 books and 40 authors and have it memorized, written down in your, your, your blood-bought, sanctified head, all that old noise. But can you share the gospel with somebody that's lost and going to hell? See, God would want you to be able to do that. That would be, that would be elementary principles of the gospel. Elementary. Go read Hebrews chapter 6. Elementary. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. What I'm trying to do is right the cart that's off the tracks. It's culturanity. It's got nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus that brings us back into the kingdom of God. It brings us this great salvation. It's going to perfect us. Your boss would fire you if you couldn't talk about the elementary principles of your job. Your boss would fire you. Yet we think we're going to get a paycheck at the end of the age that's going to give us redemption. And we can't even talk about Jesus. I'm not being mean. I really am not. Because you're saved by just simply believing. But if you believe, the God of the universe comes into our hearts. Think about this for a minute. If you truly believed and entrusted your spiritual well-being into Christ, then Christ comes and lives in your heart. And he's just going to be there wanting to walk with you in fellowship in a daily walk. But he will not force himself upon you. And you have to give him full reign of your heart by stopping chasing everything else. By unwrapping and saying, well, Lord, what do you mean you've given me a free gift? What do you mean you've given me a second chance? What do you mean I'm reborn? What do you mean that I'm being uh, 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 reformed and, and I'm a new creation? What do you mean? You ever had that job where the person training you said, go do this, and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. He didn't give me the first parts. I have no idea what that means to go do this. Listen, everything is contained in this. Milk of the word as children, and then you move to the meat. I pray that you're even thinking about opening the package. Because God is our friend, and he wrote to us down the corridor of time so that we would know for certainty, and it means safety, the things that we have been instructed and then he begins to give us this narrative, and it begins in verse 5, and I'm moving quite quick, and I didn't really read the first four sentences on purpose because I want to get us moving because I have 25 verses to cover. There was in the days of Herod, Herod means hero. Listen, it could be important because if you really look at it, Gabriel means hero of God. 
And so again, you have to decide, do you want to listen to the government leader or do you want to listen to Gabriel, the messenger angel from God who's standing at the right hand of God and he's sent to give us a message. You can choose a hero that's in Hollywood or you can choose a hero that sent the gospel message to you. Herod is uh, the governor of that area. I'm not going to go into how bad of a family. There were four Herods, the king of Judea. That's the region they're in. A certain priest named Zacharias. And then we're given that he was of the division of Abijah. All the priests. David separated them into 24 divisions. And now they, they really say that only like four divisions of the priests came back from the captivity. But anyway, that's a lot of information you don't need. I learned that myself. So Zacharias means this. You're saying, why is this the Christmas story? Why is this the, 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 the greatest gift ever given? Why are we given this? Zacharias means his name, God remembers. So after all of these years, and you're getting the testimony of one of the four witnesses, which is the 40th book of the Bible. This is the 43rd book. The third time we're getting it, God remembers. Remembers what? His promise, his oath. That's what Elizabeth means, his oath. God remembers his oath. His oath what? That he's going to bring a Messiah. The Old Testament saints, they look forward to a Messiah. The New Testament, we look back on a Messiah. God remembers his oath, and we're going to see John, which means the Lord's gracious gift. It stands for the grace of God. And how do we find out about John? Through Gabriel, a strong man of God or a hero of God. Well, what's that got to do with anything? He's going to come next, that strong man of God, to Joseph and Mary. Joseph means he will add. Mary means their rebellion. To who? To himself, to Jesus, the Lord's salvation, the Messiah. So the very names involved in this means God remembers his oath, his promise. The Lord is gracious, a strong man of God. He will add their rebellion to Jesus. That's what you have going on right here in the testimony of Christmas of the greatest gift ever given. This is how in-depth God is with what he does. And it's in the fullness of times. It's not just any day. It's the day that he pronounced it would happen when a virgin would, would give birth to a child. We're going to see that next week in what's called the announcement or the announcement. But I give you that as we look at Zacharias. He's of the division of Abijah. Abijah um, means my father is Jehovah. King James, it's Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, his oath. Isn't that interesting that uh, it's a daughter? See, because Aaron is of the high priest. Aaron means light bearer. Light bearer. Ow. Remember? Light bearer. Moses' brother was Aaron, and that's where the Arianic priesthood comes from. And it means light bearer. And you have Moses, which means one drawn out. And when he was drawn out, what did he do? He was telling the light bearer what to say. 
That's what God did. He made Moses like God and then Aaron like his prophet. And Aaron was the one that's the light bearer. We're supposed to bear light to the dead and dying world if we're priests of God. So let's look at the testimony that verse 6 would be, the number of man. Verse 6, this is the testimony that God gives of Zacharias and Elizabeth when he remembers his oath. And they were both righteous before God. This is God's testimony. Make sure you pay attention to it. Walking, this is peripateo, and all the commandments, the prescription, the authoritative prescription of God, and ordinances, statutes of the Lord, blameless. Listen, the Bible doesn't say they were sinless. The Bible says they were righteous because they looked forward and were trying to obey God, and it's accounted to them as righteousness. They believe God. That's the way Abraham was righteous. And then it says they were blameless. Isn't that amazing? Not sinless, blameless. Nobody could blame them because they believe God. And that's the same position you and I have. Because we believe Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we become righteous. And then nobody can bring in a, a, a charge against God's elect because we're totally white as snow before God. To God, we're blameless if we're unwrapping the gift. See, that becomes the evidence. What's the evidence here? They were walking with God, walking according to the prescription that, that God had given them, the commandments and the ordinances. They were trying to follow them in their heart. They were showing up. They were doing what God said to do, even though they're probably miserable in some ways. Oh, they're righteous. But think about this for a minute. The next sentence, verse 7 Verse 7, but, now see that brings you a big contrast. They had no fruit. They had no child. Why? Elizabeth was barren. That's the word for sterile. Sterile? It's the word for sterile that we use today. And they were both well advanced in years. So now they're getting old. So now listen to me, because there's a lot unfolding here in this sentence. This is seven. This is the condition they're in. Now listen, they could actually be really mad, because in this culture, the culture looked at them and said, they're cursed. There's a curse on them because they have no children. There's a curse on them, and they're still working in the temple. They were doing the natural, even though they had no children, to leave their inheritance to see in this culture that's what you did you wanted a male heir to leave your inheritance to to give them but think about it who is barren who is sterile who is not fulfilling and bearing fruit yet his oath elizabeth see and god had promised a messiah he had and he remembers that he promised a messiah and he is never going to not keep his promises so now his promise his oath is getting ready to bear fruit it's been sterile and only been led by the law by till now but now it's getting ready to bear fruit and john the grace of god is the forerunner that tells them about the lord's salvation when he's born behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world he says in john to his disciples and he turns them over see john represents the grace of god 
God's riches at Christ's expense, but he also is a type of the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's also a type of, of it all coming to fulfillment and pointing to. That's what the Old Testament does. It's the foundation. He's, he's Elijah. He's the law and the prophets. He's the grace of God. There's a transitioning, and now his oath is going to bear fruit, just like he said. But all of the people looking on, think about this for a minute, they're looking on and they believe that Zach and Elizabeth is cursed. But in the fullness of time, God is going to come through and you might feel cursed. You might feel like the stigmatism of society. Listen, I don't know if you know it, but when you start to open this up and you get all the way through, first you have people that have no children, no fruit. They look cursed, right? Think about it. People that people don't want to use today. They are old. Put them in a nursing home. They're old. They're not good for anything anymore. But yet still they're showing up. They're still walking with God. God still sees them as righteous and blameless. And the world's looking at them like they're a curse. They got some secret hidden sin or something because they don't have any children. Think about it for a minute. What's the next person that's going to be used? Some young girl that nobody would choose. 14 to 16 years old, God is going to come and use this virgin girl. And then it even gets better. Who gets to announce it? Shepherds, the dregs of society. The dregs, shepherds were the worst. Why are they outside the city? You say keeping sheep. No, people didn't want them in the city. They were thieves. They were vagabonds. They were unsavory. When the shepherds come in, people go, "Uh uh-oh, lock the doors, nail it down. Here comes the thieves. They might take something. And God came and picked from the back of the line. That's the greatest gift, the greatest news, that no matter what curse and no matter what condition and no matter how you feel about yourself or what the world says, God is here to take away the sterility. He's here to take away your unfruitfulness. And if you'll believe it and step up and walk by faith, He can use you. But if you want to be like Zach, who got old and started to believe the noise, How shall I know? And guess what? He's deaf and can't hear and he can't speak until the day that the grace of God is born in his life. John the Baptist. Watch this. It's it's unfolding before our eyes. Six, they're blameless. That's how God looks at them. The world looks at them like they're cursed. Seven, They're barren, but God's getting ready to fulfill His promises. They're getting ready to have fruit of the womb. Doesn't matter what age they are. I'd love to go back and tell you about Abraham and Sarah and other people that were aged. God can use anybody. It's not about the person's age. It's not about the person's character. It's about God's age, the Ancient of Days, and His character. He's always faithful. And He's already said what He's going to do, and He's doing what He said. Look at verse 8, new beginning. So it was that while he was serving, listen, we're all servants. Listen, think about it. They could say, oh, we're cursed. No sense in it. God didn't come through for me. Can't even have any children to leave my stuff to. And he could have said, we're not going to walk in these ordinances. Why would we follow God? He hasn't done anything for us. But you know what? They were faithful no matter what. They knew what they were doing. They had a relationship with their God. They were following the authoritative prescription, the commandments, the ordinances. They were walking. They were serving. He showed up in Jerusalem to serve. 
Look at this, because what happened? He showed up to do his job because he was a priest. Show up. That's what we got to do. Show up. And God is the one that's faithful. So he's serving. He's doing the natural, and God's getting ready to do the supernatural in God's time. How many times has he showed up? How many times does he just show up and then he said, God didn't show up, Elizabeth, when he got back home? Listen to me. God was preparing him for this moment. Are you being prepared for this moment? He's serving as priest before God in the order of his division. No matter what, he's serving. No matter what the condition, he does the natural. Listen, that's the way the church should be today. We're servants. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. We are servants. That's what we do. We're laying down our lives so that we can give people light so that they will come to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Faithful church. Uh, Revelation 3, 7 to 14 or something. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Verse 9, so he's serving as priest before God in the order of his division according to the custom of the priesthood. His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now listen to me, because see, he had to show up. He had to show up. Even though people are saying they're cursed, they can't give nothing there. No, there's nothing. He showed up. And then he has to go into the temple. And then they get there, and there's these whole bunch of priests there, and then they draw lots to see who gets to go and burn the incense before God. And all of his life, he's probably never, ever fell upon him because there's thousands of them there. And in this time, the lot fell upon Zacharias. Why? Because God remembers, and it's the fullness of time, and it's that day that he's been prepared for. He's been doing the natural, and it becomes upon him to go administer the incense because he was there. Think if he would have been at home going, Elizabeth, we ain't had no children. Shut up. Elizabeth, we're cursed by God. Didn't you hear the neighbors? We're cursed. Stay in the house. Think if he believes the world and, and the world attorney to sway of the wicked one. No, he's listening to the voice of God and he's doing the natural. And he shows up regardless. And he's probably thinking, God will never pick me. I'm never going to do anything. I don't even know why I'm here. And the lot falls upon him. That's how they chose things. They would cast lots. And then it, there you go. Zacharias of the tribe of Abbey, are you here? Here I am. I'm old, but I'm ready. And it falls upon him to burn incense. What an amazing thing. But he's in the temple. He's not in the wilderness somewhere. He's in the temple looking for God, looking to serve God and others. And then verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Oh, my goodness. See, that's what the incense means. The incense, as it rolled up, it was always supposed to be burning. It's the prayer of the saints rising to God. And think about it. They've been praying all these years. They want fruit. They want a child. And they've been praying. And now he's going to be chosen. And then he's not going to believe. Do you believe that God doesn't remember his oath? 
Do you believe that God can't perfect you? Do you believe that God won't finish the work that he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus? Listen to me. God's not finished with any of us. It doesn't matter the conditions of what's going on in your life. Uh Uh-oh, I've seen that now. Look what they've done. Oh, my goodness. They can't be used. It's never been us in the first place. It's always been the testimony of God. If you'll die, if you'll surrender, if you'll let him live through you, if you'll unwrap the greatest gift ever given, it's no use. We've been cursed all of our life. I got that tattoo, born to lose, right there on the back of my arm. I'm born to lose. Put me in the grave. Listen to me. Where does this come from? It comes from the lie of the wicked one. If we've been born again in new creations, we're, 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 we're God's children. Why would we walk around like we're dead? Why would we walk around like we have no strength? Why would we walk around like we have nothing to say when we're the light of the world with a message of hope? I'm sorry. I get a little emphatic about this stuff. I think I really got saved when I believed. I think the devil lies to us. First sin you commit after you got saved, he began to put a veil over you. And you don't understand that God forgave you of all your sin. Oh, I'm not giving you permission to sin. But this is, verse 6 was, they were blameless and righteous. Listen, listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Zach and Elizabeth fall in that category with us. They're no different. God is still working and doing the same working he was doing, redeeming a people for his house that would choose him freely. And we never could do it on our own and never will be able to. We have to believe God that he will do it. And we're going to see it right now. We're going to see unbelief. Next week, in the eyes of a young girl, we're going to see belief, true faith. Not somebody that's grown old in the church and become so complacent and hard that they don't believe God can do anything. Not somebody that's let their sin and the things of life and their disappointments and all their eyes focused on the world and they become hard and they go, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. If I make it into heaven, who cares? I'll be dead anyway. Listen to me. The Spirit makes us alive in Christ. Not dead. Unwrap this gift. The whole multitude, what are they? They're expecting. You know, what they're expecting is, is that he will go in, he'll burn the incense, and we'll have this same religious ceremony that we've always had. It'll be the same old thing that we've always had. We'll wait for him to come out. He'll raise his hands up. He'll say the blessing over us, and then we'll go back home. My goodness, what a stale, stinking religious thing to do. They didn't come expecting to hear from God. They didn't come expecting to hear a message that God would speak to their hearts. They came to play religion and go back home and live the same miserable life. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to do that. I want God to grow me up in the faith every single day. I go out into the public looking for somebody to talk to. I'm a hermit. I stay at home and hide in my house. But you get me in public, I want to tell somebody about Jesus. 
I'll push a package off the shelf to get everybody to look. I'm not talking about myself. I'm telling you I want to tell somebody because I was living in hell. I was a child of hell. I was lied to by the same devil that told me I was cursed and I would never be anything. But now I'm a child of God because the Spirit woke me up and gave me new life. And I said, I'm going to at least try to do the natural. I'm going to at least try to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and show up and stop sorting my socks. And then, because I was such a wretch, God said, okay, you're going to be the pastor because you won't show up unless I make you the pastor. True, true story. True testimony. At least I believe it is. Where are you at in all this? They're out there with expectation. That's why you're going to see that he tarried so long, they don't even know what's going on. Hurry up, dude. Aren't you done yet? We want to eat. What are you doing in the temple for so long? Got a message from an angel. I'm wrestling with it. I hope you wrestle with these messages. I hope you fight with them. I hope you turn at night in your bed and it changes your life. I hope you roll over and you can't go to sleep because God's got a hold of you with his spirit. Listen to me. We can't go on living the way we've always lived if we meet Jesus. I'm just teasing. I sleep like a baby. Isn't that a stupid statement? Up all night. That's what babies do. They keep you up all night. Never mind. I sleep real good, though. Because I'm resting in Christ. But if you're not resting in Christ, I hope he keeps you turning. Then what happened, Greg? Verse 11. Then an angel, a messenger of the Lord, appeared out of nowhere to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Why? Because he's representing Christ. And Christ is seated on the right side. It's the right side, not the wrong side. It's the right side, the side of power. He's coming with a powerful message to announce the birth of John the Baptist, who's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. What does Elijah mean? The Lord is God. See, it's God keeping his oath. Listen, you are not the one. It's God that puts his spirit in us and we surrender and say, yes, Lord. And then he makes us faithful. He leads us to be a witness. He takes us out. We're empty vessels. That's all he wants. But you're not empty if you're still doing your own thing. You're not empty if you still think it's about you. You're not empty if you're still chasing the world. You're not empty if you think it's all about what you're doing, what you're driving, what you're getting, who you're going to do. You're not empty at all. You're full of yourself. Think about it. Wrapped up in self. The, the, the most miserable life on the planet is somebody that's wrapped in themselves. Oh, yeah, think about it. Every time you get your eyes on yourself, you're mad because they didn't do. You're mad because they didn't do, and they shouldn't say it, and they're talking about me, and this is all about me. That's the most miserable wrapping paper on the planet is self. You want to be wrapped in Jesus. Nobody wants somebody that's wrapped up in themselves coming and going, here I am, God's gift to women. Here I am, God's gift to you. Nobody wants that. You're the only blind one that can't see it. When you're wrapped up in yourself. And it's everybody else's fault. That's what Adam was doing. It's that woman you gave me. 
I got wrapped up in her. That's why I followed her voice instead of yours, Lord. It's her fault. And the Lord said, uh-uh. I gave you dominion. She came from you. So that's your fault. You trained her to do that. Sorry, men. Sorry, men. You get what you put into it. Christ put everything into it. He died. And so then he wants his true children to die. You get back what you put into it. You reap what you sow. God's true children, his true bride dies so he can live through them and tell the world about the salvation of God. And it works in the physical too. If you're all about self, don't be surprised if you find yourself standing there alone and you got nothing going on. Because nothing reaps nothing. But one day it'll reap death. I got to keep moving. I get caught up in this and start pointing at myself. So he's on the right hand of the altar of incense. Now, to make no mistake, the altar of incense at this time in the temple is not in the Holy of Holies. It's outside of the Holy of Holies. It represents the prayers. You look in Hebrews, now it's inside because Christ is seated up there praying for us. He's up there. He's already got it all done. It's finished. Now all we're trying to do is find out the will of God. When you pray, you're not trying to get something done for you. You're trying to find out the will of God. You're trying to be dependent upon God. You're trying to be like Him and do what He's already doing. So we've been taught to pray down here, give me a car, give me a truck. We've been taught to pray down here about all this physical stuff. And I'm not telling you don't pray about people's physical lives. But it's really about lining your heart up with what God is doing. You're worshiping God. And you're saying, Lord, I, I'm dead down here. I don't really have nothing to do because I'm dead. So I really don't have any interest. So I'd like to do what you're doing. Could you change my heart and teach me how to do that? What are you doing anyway? Oh, I'm saving souls. I sent my son down there to die so that souls could get saved that would believe in him. What do you want me to do? Go tell somebody. This isn't that hard. And as you step out and you begin to exercise your faith, it grows. And you begin to understand that you're just an echo of what possesses you. Oh, yeah. Is it God's spirit or are you echoing something else? I find every Monday that people can talk about football all day long and they won't shut up. Nobody cares about the Bears. Shut up. I'm just teasing. I could have chose any team. I don't care about any of them. I tell you the testament all the time. John Elway was my hero. I think, I think the Broncos have lost five Super Bowls. Three of them was underneath the helm of John Elway as the quarterback. I watched him lose all three of them. He won two. And I never seen either one of them because I got saved about two months before he played the one he first won. And I'm like, who cares? I know Jesus. I've been set free. I'm not in the pit anymore. I've been set free. I don't care what football is doing. And I'm not saying you're a secondhand cross citizen if you watch football. That's not what I'm saying. But that's not what floats my boat. I could sit down and watch it with you, but you know what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to talk to you about Jesus in between passes. If he'd have been praying, he'd have caught that. See that dante's pointing up? What's that mean? 
He could have pointed that way. God's over there too. Why did he point over there? He could have pointed over there. God's everywhere. You can't get away from God. Have a nice day. That's your celebration party later when you're living like a heathen. You've been pointing up to God. Don't do that. Don't say I'm a Christian and then live like a heathen on purpose for everybody to watch. I'm not picking on you. I've done it myself. I'm talking about it. Not pointing at you. I'm talking about Christians in Texas. We need to send some evangelists down there, get some people saved. Don't move to Texas. That's a bad place to move. <laughs> a whole bunch of heathens down there. I'm teasing. I digress here. Where was we at? Here we are in the temple, verse 12. And Zacharias saw him. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. So Zach's there. He's going, okay, all I got to do is burn this incense and I can go back home and turn on football and everything will be fine. I can go on watching the game. No, not really, because he has to finish the entire period he's here for. He's here for a whole period and then he gets to go back home. So anyway, um, he sees the angel and fear fell upon him. You know what's wrong with us? Our sin nature don't want to see God or an angel. We don't want to see anything that's truly spiritual as a sin nature. Think about it. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid from God. As soon as they knew they were sinners, they hid. What do they do in the wilderness? God's bringing them out. God just delivered two and a half million of them to the wilderness. And God said, hey, hey, Moses, tell them all that to come and meet here and come to the mountain. It's Mount Sinai. We're going to have this. And the mountain's on fire and it's quaking. And they're like, ah, Moses, you speak to us, but not God. We're scared. And they will listen to a man, but they don't want to draw near to God. So when they see an angel or they see something of God, they just want, the sin nature just wants to flee. It wants to hide. It doesn't, it's scared. It's troubled. There's fear that overcomes them. Listen, if you believe in Jesus, why would it fear? Why would you be afraid to read your Bible? Why would you be afraid to see God? Why would you be afraid? See, and listen, you can be righteous and blameless and still be afraid when you see an angel. You can be righteous and blameless and still be afraid when you hear a messenger tell you about God. Why is it? I think he's become comfortable. He's become complacent. He's become in a place in his life where he's just going through some religious motions. And he doesn't even believe that God's ever going to answer because they've been barren without fruit for so long. And he doesn't know that God's waiting to show up. God is waiting to show up in your life and my life. He's waiting to do what he wants to do all along is to wash us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. But we keep saying, don't talk to me. I'm busy right now. My life is getting so busy. You notice how things are getting real busy? We were talking, I talked about this, I think, Friday night. We were talking. I, I don't know what generation you grew up in, but I grew up in a generation where we didn't have much of nothing. In fact, I made that my excuse for going and taking everybody else's stuff. Oh, you got some and I don't have any. I'm going to take yours. You can stop me if you want. And then we'll, we'll deal with that. But listen to me. Now we live in a generation where if you have a job, people aren't really wanting for anything. 
Or you might be dealing with it right now. You got your little Christmas list. You're saying, what do you want? I don't need nothing. Because people don't need nothing except Jesus. They need the greatest gift ever given. The reason they keep filling their life up with all of this trash down here that's going to burn is because they don't know Jesus. So once you know Jesus, you don't want this trash that's going to burn. This is all kindling. This is all going to burn. It means nothing. You wrap yourself up in it. You have to wash it. You have to clean it. You have to take care of it. If it falls down on you, it's okay. As long as you're preaching the gospel. If it falls down on you because you're stuck on yourself, you're in big trouble. Listen to me. Die to self. Get outside of self. Quit chasing this stuff that's going to burn. The only thing we have need of in this life is Christ. And then once you have Christ, the only thing you have need of, you'll know, is to tell others. Why would we say we love people and we let them go straight to hell? Why would we say, oh, I love you. I hope you have fun in hell. I ain't going to tell you nothing about Jesus. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to bring any shame to anybody or make you feel like, oh, I'm a second-rate Christian. I'm trying to tell you that if we die to self and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He will do it through you. It's not about what you can do. The only thing you can do is get in the way. The only thing you can do is keep wrapping yourself up in your own little petty cares. Well, this is a big thing. No, it's a light affliction. It has nothing, no weight whatsoever when you start thinking about eternity. Go read it. 2 Corinthians 4.17. That's your homework. Read it. It's light. Oh, it might hurt right now, but it's light compared to what will happen if hell fires on your shoulders. Eternity is what this is all about. You're in a grand jury, you're in a grand courtroom right now, and this is all about eternity. And you have to make the right choice. And if you choose Jesus, then it's so easy to go on living for Jesus. But if you keep choosing self, it's a sad, pitiful tug of war. So fear fell upon him, and he was troubled. It's phobia. Phobus passed upon him. It gripped him because of the angel. Of course, there was also the, the, the lie that they taught in the culture. If you see an angel, you're going to die. Think about it. He's already old. Pulled that muscle, and I'm like, oh, no, it's a heart attack. I'm going to die. Oh, you guys have done that before? You're laughing. You must know about it. <laughs> it's got to be cancer. I'm going to die. Listen, I'm not, I'm not uh, poking fun at people's real sicknesses, but listen to me. The finish line, you get a crown when you die. Why would we be concerned about that? Unless we fear seeing God. Unless we're ashamed of seeing God. That's the reason we fear dying. He took away the fear of death in our salvation. The wages of sin is death. We're no longer going to die. We're going to be at home with God forever for eternity. What a glorious day it will be. We're living it for every decision to make it of eternity. I know, you just don't want it to be painful as you go. It's same, same old pat answers that everybody has. 
but I'm worried about my children. If you're worried about your children, then you definitely start living a right life. If you're worried about your children, the only thing you can do is leave the example and the inheritance of Christ. That's it. Nothing. Well, it's my grandchildren. Christ. Well, it's the people. Christ. The only thing you can give anybody is Christ. Well, I'm really, Christ. I'm serious. But what about me? Christ. You is what the problem is. We're wrapped up in self. We got to get this. It's that simple. But they shouldn't have, it's you and Christ. That's it. You're going to be wrapped up in yourself and mad at everybody or wrapped up in Christ and loving everybody because you're telling them about the gospel. That's the two places in life. The rest of it is miserable. What are you afraid of? Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Didn't that sound like a representative of Christ? How many times are you going to see Christ say that after later in the Gospels? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Oh, you're, I think he's mad because we didn't bring any bread. Do not be afraid. <laughs> All confused. And Jesus is saying, do not fear. Because if you have a relationship and you're right with him, perfect love cast out all fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. Learning who you are is so important. Open the gift. It'll set you free. Zacharias, and he says, he says it by name, do not be afraid. God remembers for your prayer is heard and your wife his oath will bear you a son, fruit, and you shall call his name Grace, the gracious gift of God. Of course, Zacharias, your prayer is heard, Zach. Your wife is going to have fruit of the womb, and his name, you should name him John. See, this is out of character, too, because you'll see later that, that they named him after the dad. So really, his son should be Zacharias. But God doesn't remember his oath God remembers. See, it doesn't make sense. God doesn't keep remembering his oath. You're, it's salvation one time. God doesn't keep remembering his oath. It's by grace. John, God's gracious gift. God doesn't keep remembering it. So he stops and he cuts the chain. And it ended at that fullness of time by the grace of God. Because a strong man brought a message by the power of God. He was sent And he will add their rebellion to Jesus, if you let him. Or you can stay living in the world and think you're still that person. So he says, don't be afraid. Your prayer is answered. Can you imagine a husband that's been praying that long, maybe 60 years for his wife to have children? I need somebody to leave my inheritance to. You know what he's going to say? Oh, no, it's too late, Lord. Stop it. Can't teach him how to play football. Can't teach him. I'm too old to run with him. I can't even train him. Now keep the kid, Lord. I don't even want him. I can't do all those things I wanted to do. See where he could be? You're like, oh, it's too late. I'm not young anymore.
Mm. I got to keep moving. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Listen. What is it? It's God's gracious gift. It's the grace of God. And so when you come to salvation, you should have joy and gladness, and many others should rejoice at that fruit in your life. How come people become miserable when they say they got saved? There's something wrong with the salvation if you're miserable and you're saved. Your eyes are looking in the wrong place. You've got your eyes on your spouse. You've got your eyes on your job. You've got your eyes someplace else on your ability. You've got your eyes on self, number one enemy. These are the things that steal your joy. It steals your gladness. Because when the seed of God gets planted in your heart, freedom. God's not in bondage to anybody. God's not afraid of anybody. God does not change. There's no variation or shadow. There's nothing greater than God. And now he is on the throne of your life, living in your heart, changing you. But when your eyes are looking somewhere else and blaming somebody else, and ever, they're my problem, if I just get rid of them, no, 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 no. You got rid of the last one. You got rid of the last job. I had a buddy, I tell you this all the time, seven jobs later, it was always his boss's fault. Seven jobs later, you know what he found? There he was. There he was. It's all about us and God, our relationship with God. But you don't understand my... Listen, it's all about what God's doing with you. He's a perfect scalpel, perfect God, perfecting you. And he allows that boss that you think is terrible. Now what you need to do is die in serving. Now what you need to do is be a light to that person so that they'll come to salvation. You let God deal with your boss. You let God deal with your spouse. You let God deal with the other people. You be faithful to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. You be faithful to read the Bible. You be faithful to say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I want to walk with you blameless and righteous and do the natural. And then God shows up while you're serving. And then you're afraid of it. Oh, I don't want to read my Bible because God might show up. And if he shows up, then I might have to do something. Yeah, change your mind. That's the whole gospel. Change your mind. 15, for he will be great. Listen, he's telling the testimony of John the Baptist. He's telling the testimony of grace. God's gracious gift. Listen to me. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Grace, people under grace should not drink wine or strong drink. I made that statement. Yes, I did. I believe that statement. I don't think we're supposed to be drinking. That's the culture. People get mad at me. I don't think that wine or strong drink is for kings or for priests. Tells us in Proverbs chapter 30. And then Revelation 1 tells us we're kings and priests for our God. And there's nothing good that comes out of any drug or alcohol. Sorry. That's my soapbox. He 
He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You're in a womb now if you know Christ. And you should be filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to lead your life. And he will turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. Of course, we know that John the Baptist, as he gave a message, Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand! People turned back. They changed their mind. And it really infuriated all the religious leaders that were ignoring God. And But notice in this greatest gift ever given, God didn't go to the priests that were ruling. He didn't show up at Gamaliel's house and say, Hey, Gamaliel, I got something for you. He didn't show up at the ones that were in charge of the Sanhedrin and say, Hey, I want you to announce this. Because they didn't think they needed a doctor. They thought they were okay. They were doing good. Notice the contrast. The world thought that Zach and Elizabeth were cursed. And that their life was less than. But God showed up to them. Now you got on the other side of the spectrum. People that are living high on the hog and living with royalty. And God didn't show up to them. They thought they were okay. They already had everything they needed. I thank God that I was born where I was born. Where would I be if I didn't grow up with nothing? Think about it right now. I can tell you, I can make you feel real bad real quick. All of our children think that they need everything because they've been trained, because we've been giving it to them since they were pooping in their diapers. So now our children just think they expect it. I just expect that. I'm entitled to that. See, it's the fire that it's the fire that's good for you. When you grow up learning to make do and get by and deal with, then your heart is trained that it's okay if I don't have everything. But when you spoil them from childhood and you give them everything and you tell them they're the best and they're the smartest, why would they go to school if they're the smartest? Why would they need anything if they're already the best? Why would they put their hand to anything if they're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Teach them the truth. Little Johnny is probably not going to play in the NBA Teach him some real truth and quit wasting your money on all of these traveling basketball camps. Teaching some real truth about Jesus. I'm just getting real. Open the package. We are so confused in life. And guess what? If little Johnny does get rich, he might forget Jesus and never live for him. And you lost the battle because your whole battle is to train him in the way that he's supposed to go. And we're supposed to go to heaven. Because God died for everybody, and it's not His will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Don't lose sight of the battle. Like America has done and been deceived into, now we think that more is better. If more was better, Jesus would have had everything instead of came with nothing. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Wait a minute. Come on, God. You didn't even supply for your son to have a place to lay his head. What kind of father are you? That's what the atheist would say. That's what the liar would say. He didn't need any of that. It's all about souls in the spiritual realm. It's not about the house you live in or the car you drive or the clothes you wear. Those are all going to burn. It's about the heart you have when you die and give up this physical body. Is it a heart that has a heart to listen to God and be wrapped in Christ and lay down the flesh? Or is it a heart that says, I just want one more dollar. Pay attention. Hard message. Wait a minute. You said you're going to teach about Christmas. Hard message. It is about Christmas. It's about the greatest gift ever given. And that's what God came and did. He spoke truth into darkness, truth into the lies that people were living. He came and led the way out of the grave that was certain for us. And he took our grave. He took our curse. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And he decorated, he did it with joy because he knew on the other side, you and I would have a choice and a chance to be redeemed and brought back into the family of God. Don't fall for the lie and the deception that Eve fell for by believing the other voice. So John, the grace of God, will bring many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the Lord our God, the Lord is God, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what repentance does. The spirit of Elijah, it's Malachi 4, 5, and 6, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Not going to that, that's not my... Um, message about the greatest gift i don't want to go in and show you all the prophecies if i did we would be in the old testament because all of this is foundational truth he comes and he he's going to convince people by his message to turn have you turned from self and sin and Satan to, to God? Have you changed your mind and quit listening to their voice and began to listen to the voice of God and the Spirit of God? He who has an ear, hear what the Spirit would say to the churches. Hear with a connotation to obey it. Elijah could actually mean could, or excuse me, could actually mean strength of Jehovah too. By the strength of Jehovah, fathers would return to leading their children, leading their homes, being the examples of one that would die so that their wives and children would be set free and not listening to the other voice. You remember last week we talked about it. That's what Adam was cursed for. Adam was cursed for listening to the voice of his wife instead of the voice of God. Now be careful because many men will take on a, a, a different, whole different mentality and walk in with their chest out 
But Christ died for his bride. He laid his life down. And that's what any husband will do. And trust the Holy Spirit to reach his wife, to talk to his wife, to, to show his wife that he's walking in a way he should be going, that he's trying to do it right, that he's apologizing, he's repenting, he's changing his mind, he's confessing, he's admitting his problems. I don't know what Adam did in the, in the garden, but for some reason his wife thought it was okay to talk to a serpent. Isn't that the only command that God had given Adam? Of all the trees in the, in the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat, for in the day that you do, you will surely die. Only message that God had given to Adam. The only message he needed to relay to his wife was that message there. And for some reason, oh, it's that woman. No, it was not that woman. God blames it on the man. Foreshadowing of Christ taking our sin was it was laid upon the head, the head of the garden. And then the head of all principality and power came off the throne, died, took our curse, and now has been, has ascended and has now been given the name above all names. One day every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. It's a hard message. I don't think I've ever gave an easy one. They're hard to put on. They're hard to wear. But truth is love. And you can cut the messenger's head off or you can say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me, God? Because it's you I need to hear from so I don't burn in hell. I got to keep going. We got to get this done. We're out of time. The fathers need to turn back. And it's never too late. You can always be an example. The, to the prudence and wisdom of God. Moral insight is what that word means with wisdom. To the knowledge of the holy is probably what it means more perfectly. And just can be righteousness. It's the same word that we're justified by faith. That word just, to the wisdom of the just to the wisdom of the righteous one, to the wisdom of what righteousness is, well, we just got a testimony that Zach and Elizabeth, Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless before God because they were looking to God and listening to God. And then when God answered them, they were afraid of God because he didn't show up when and how and in the place that they wanted him to show up. Verse 18. And Zacharias said, now here's where you got, here's where it's your free will. Zacharias said, listen, this is your free will. And Zacharias said to the angel, to the message that he got, listen, this is your free will. Oh, did I say that already? It's all right. When I was born, my mom was scared by a scratch record. So Zacharias said to the angel, and some of you people that are real old, you'll get that. Scratch record keeps repeat. Never mind. Maybe you thought of eight tracks that you taped and they kept repeating. What a record. What a, I got a record. 
Oh. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Doesn't look very possible. You got a sign? Isn't an angel coming with a message, a sign enough? Is that what he's doing, asking for a sign? A crooked and perverse generation seeks after a sign. And none will be given. How shall I know this? We're old. Keta is how. Whereby shall I measure this message? No. What shall I measure at Gnoskos? How can I come to understand it? Guess what happens then? Because of his unbelief, because of his lack of faith, Gabriel tells him who he is. Look. And the angel answered because his question about their age and the sign required an answer. I am Gabriel. Could mean hero of God, warrior of God. Probably closer means strong man of God. But the angel is a messenger who stands. Histomai, our position is to stand in the presence of God. Think about that for a minute. Here's Zach. He's freaking out and afraid and trembled and agitated and going crazy inside because an angel appeared. And this angel stands in the presence of God every day, all the time, and is dispatched at his, go, go, go tell him. He stands in the presence of Almighty God. And I was sent, doesn't say I, but and was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Glad tidings, good news. It's supposed to be good news. You've been praying for a child. Think about it. What have you been praying? What did you pray when you were 10? What did you pray when you were 20? What did you pray last week? Lord, just help me. He's trying to help you, but you want to help some other way. You don't want to do it God's way. You don't want to do it through death. You don't want to do it through receiving the word of God. You want it to be over with in a moment. Listen, that doesn't train your heart. Just like when you give a kid everything, their heart is trained to want everything. Not, more is not better. More makes them want more. When's more enough? That's what's training them is the spirit of the age. Kids need to hear no. Oh, you don't have to say, no, get out of here. I'll smack you inside the head. You can say, no, we're not going to do that right now. We're choosing to do without on that. And you train them that they're not always going to get yeses. No is going to be a big part of their life and they're going to need a coloring book in crayons because they've always heard yes. You guys have seen it. I'm not picking on them. It's a very sad testimony to the previous generation if your child is in college and needs a coloring book in crayons because they can't handle stress. That's not on them. That's on whoever trained them in this godless world. Boy, he won't shut up. 
Wake up. We need to wake up, church. I'm sorry. I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm not frustrated. I'm just talking. A little bit of running commentary to the Bible so we can think about things that we need to really change our mind on. And God forgives us. He loves us. But we can't keep doing it or you didn't change your mind. So he, he announces clearly to him, I am Gabriel. That's not enough. That's not a big enough sign that God sent Gabriel to you. I'm standing here in the place of prayer, in the place of incense, and I'm telling you that God answered your prayer. Your wife is going to have a child, and instead of jumping for joy, you're like, how am I going to know? God said. Look at 20, because he gets, he gets rebuked for it, for not going, for not believing, for not stepping out, for not rejoicing that prayer has been answered. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not trust the Lord's words, did not believe. That means it's pistio, to put your trust in these words, which will be fulfilled in their own time when that time happens. And the people waited for God to remember Zacharias. And they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple but when he came out he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless now listen to me i read all of that because i want you to know that it wasn't just that he couldn't talk anymore he could not hear either your unbelief silences the very faculty that brings faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god if you look up the word speechless, he remains speechless. He comes out and he's playing charades with them. He's supposed to be announcing the blessing, but he can't talk. And he can't hear, so he's doing this number. And they're going, you seen a vision? He's like, yeah, he can't do nothing. He can't communicate. But he has to still finish his service as the priest until his order is over with before he can even go home. He has to stand there with all of them seeing him every day and be reminded of his lack of faith, his lack of belief. He has to be reminded that he's not saying anything and can't hear anything. And they all see it every day because he chose not to listen to the word of God that was brought by an angel, a messenger of God. This word speechless means blunted of hearing, deaf and dumb, can't hear, can't speak because he didn't believe God. He beckoned to them means to express with signs. He was looking for a sign and now he's talking with signs. It's part of being under the curse. You don't want to believe God's word. And so he can't even bless the people because he can't tell them all that he just heard. Wouldn't it have been great to go, praise report, Elizabeth is going to have a child. Might have been a good thing not to, huh? Because they'd have been like, shut up. You're 107. What are you talking about? Think about that. Think about though, because we're going to see that she does have a child. That means that some crazy age 80 or 100 he goes home and has to convince his wife to sleep with him 
God said, I was in the temple. So he has to somehow tell her this, but she can't, he can't talk. That's why you're going to see it in, in, in like the end of the chapter. They already got a chalkboard ready. Because they've probably been using it for several months to talk. And they're writing on it. A writing board. We'll see it. It's amazing text. I, this stuff blows me away. But this is what God's doing in our lives. And if you're silent and your faith isn't growing, it's because you don't believe God. It's unbelief. You've been given a message by the Spirit of God who woke you up to believe in Jesus. And then you believe in Jesus, but you won't step out and follow what he's saying to do to walk blamelessly to live righteously, to change your mind and go the other direction. You're staying wrapped up in your capabilities, in your life. Instead of telling people about the greatest gift that's ever given, the gift of life. All of us are called to be witnesses in this grand courtroom. And you can't do it on your own. You have to do it with the Spirit of God and the body of Christ, the people together using your gifts, talents, and abilities. i got to close this out. So he remained speechless. So it was as soon as, as, verse 23, the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. He went back home. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months She's freaking out. I'm 80 years old, and I've got a, a bump. Look, a bump, a belly bump. I'm pregnant. Think about it. The stigma's been taken away. The curse has been taken away. This is what everything has got to go on with the greatest gift ever given, is that Christ came to take away the curse. And she's hidden herself. And then our memory verse for the jail, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me. Anytime God's looking at you, he's showing favor. To take away my shame, your Bible might say reproach, among people. Listen, the curse has been taken. Your shame has been taken. Your guilt has been taken. Everything's been removed in Christ. He come to take it away. He took it on the cross. You are now righteous and blameless, and you have a message to tell other people. God is showing his favor upon us if we believe. He loves us. It does not make us sinless. It makes God amazing. It makes it the greatest gift ever given. And there was a John the Baptist in your life that announced grace. And instead of cutting his head off like the world does, you should be praying for that John the Baptist in your life. This is pretty amazing stuff. Do you know that your shame has been taken? Do you know that your reproach has been taken away? Do you know that the child that's been conceived in you is, is Christ? He planted his seed in you, and now that fruit is supposed to grow in you? The word reproach or disgrace is so interesting. I looked it up. It's from the word name. 
Huh? Well, there's salvation in no other name. God has changed your name. He just hasn't told you your new name yet. But name means your character, your nature, and your will, and your authority. When he takes away your shame and your reproach, he changes your character, your nature, your will, and who your authority is. He changes your mind for you. And the only thing that will keep you from walking into that is your self-will that says no. And the fool has said no to God. If you believe in Christ and he's looked upon you with favor and the grace of God is birthed in you, the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to live godless. Look at it, Titus. Look at Titus. Listen to me. God has changed your name. He's changed your character. He's changed your nature. He's changed who you are. Here's what Titus 1.16 says. They confess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That's what you can choose with unbelief. But then it says this in 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live sober-minded, righteously and godly in this present age. What are we doing then? Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did he do? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and what else? Purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Listen to me. This is what we've been called to do. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Because he smiled on us with favor. He's removed our guilt and shame. He took our cross, our dead tree. He took it for us. And he's changed our name. And so with the changing of our name, we have a choice to change our mind. Metanoia. It's the word repentance. Now we have a new character. We're new creations. We have a new nature, a new heart. The Spirit of God is in us. We should have a new desire, a new will to go out and seek souls that are dying. Why? Because we have a new authority. We're no longer listening to the voices of this world. He who has the ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church and open the greatest gift ever given the grace of God, John the Baptist. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for calling us out of darkness. Lord, I pray that your spirit would quicken to us what true salvation is about, and we would rest. We would rest and have joy and gladness in knowing that you've called us out of darkness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us and taking our curse, for taking our cross, for decorating that first tree with the light of the world by bringing your presence down with us. Lord, may we not trample it underfoot. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.
And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Who shall